0: Xavier Reese with the simple truths of living by faith.
1: The problem is too many times people think they're called of God and they want to go out in the mission field and then they tell me that boldly and I say, well, when you're leaving, they say, oh, as soon as I get all my support. Really? Well who called you? God did. Did he tell you to go? Yeah. Why aren't you gone? God called you? Go there and go to work.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One of the biggest buzzwords of our generation is tolerance. Not only does everyone have a right to their own beliefs and lifestyles, but everyone else must readily accept whatever ideology and behavior is espoused. Well, coming up from the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, Pastor Xavier brings us the only true view of who God is and what he expects of his children. That's today's simple truth contained in a message titled, Only the Facts. Let's listen.
1: Paul and Silas, as their custom was, arrived at Thessalonica and they went straight to the synagogue for three weeks in a row. And they took the scriptures and they began to explain them and demonstrate that Christ has suffered and risen again from the dead and declaring that he, Jesus, who they preached was the very Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament. Remember, all they had was the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't have a New Testament. Consequently, the Jews became envious and they gathered some evil men of the marketplace and they attacked the house of Jason, as you know, and attempted to bring Paul and the others out, Silas and whoever else was with him. But failing to find them there, They dragged Jason out and the others before the rulers of the city. And they were crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What an incredible statement. They've turned the world upside down. They accused Jason of harboring Paul and Silas, who were acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there was another king, namely Jesus. Acts 17, 5 through 7 tells us. Now the brethren, seeing the peril and danger of it, immediately they sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. But as their custom, these guys don't learn, they went to the synagogue again. And they began to preach Christ the very same way. Now, the Jews at Thessalonica heard about Paul preaching there, so they traveled over there and they stirred up again the people against Paul. And once again... The Jews who were born again accepted Christ, saw the danger, and they took Paul and escorted him over to Athens. Acts 17, 13 through 15 tells us that. The unplanned and the sudden departure gave the Jews a good platform to accuse Paul and Silas of being religious charlatans and hucksters, who were in it for themselves And not so much for the Thessalonians. When Paul arrived at Athens. He sent word back with those who had escorted him there. To send Silas and Timothy to him. And when Paul advanced to Corinth. Timothy and Silas returned to Paul at Corinth. And they told him about the good news of the Thessalonians. How they had been victorious over the persecution. In fact even thrived. But along with that report. Timothy gave to Paul the slanderous, remarks and the false allegations that had come against him and his ministry. And so Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, deals with the accusations with the mere facts here in chapter 2 and some of chapter 3. There will be times in your life and mine when you will want to go beyond the facts. Our society today argues from emotions. Not facts. Our whole jurisprudence system is based on facts, but the majority of them are making decisions based on emotions. Not facts. Paul, as an attorney, begins his general defense of the accusations against his ministry at Thessalonica by calling, first of all, three witnesses. We find this in chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. His first witness is the Thessalonians, verse 1 and 2. The second witness is the apostles themselves in verse 3. And then the third witness is the witness of God in verse 4. If you're going to have a chance in a courtroom, you must have good witnesses, reliable witnesses. Then Paul defends his ministry with detailing evidence in two areas, in verse 5 through 8. First in verse 5 through 6, evidence based on character, focusing on integrity. Secondly, verse 7 and 8, evidence based on care, focusing on their personal involvement with them. That's good physical evidence. Paul's final defense deals with evidence based on their conduct, focusing on being instruments of example. Here Paul asks the Thessalonians to remember three things regarding their conduct that would refute the false accusations. Verses 9 through 12. Let me read our text. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be burdensome to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Here are the three things that Paul asked the Thessalonians to remember regarding his conduct and the others. First, their willingness to work as they preach the gospel. Verse 9. Secondly, their willingness to live out the gospel. Verse 10. And then their willingness to teach the gospel. Verse 11. And 12. First of all, their willingness to work as they preach the gospel. This is crucial in view of the allegations. Notice first Paul calls their attention, remembering how they worked. The manner of work is described as labor and toil. The work labor means primarily and it denotes a striking or a beating the idea is of laboring resulting in weariness. They not only work, but they work to exhaustion. Have you ever worked like that? This is the word. The word is used for the widow who wearied the judge, remember in Luke eighteen five 5, to avenge her of her enemies. And the judge says, I don't fear God or man, but this lady's too much, she's wearing me down. The word is used of labor motivated by love and Chapter 1, verse 3, and chapter 3, verse 5, here in the epistle. Now, he uses a second word, toil. It means labor involving powerful effort. The idea here is hardship and difficulty. One thing is to toil wholeheartedly in and under hard labor. But to compound that, the exterior circumstance or conditions make it harder. You're out there trying to fix this flat, and you pull over and it just starts raining and hailing <laughs> makes it that much more difficult. This is the idea with this word so it hits it from both ends. Paul straight as you know was a tent maker uh, he partied up with a uh, Aquila and Priscilla, as they were excommunicated from Rome at the excommunication of the Jews in Acts 18. And in verse 2 and 3, when they arrived at Corinth, Paul and them struck a good fellowship, and they became workers together in leather work, a tent maker. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, if you remember, he said, We labor working with our hands, with our own hands, 1 Corinthians 4, 12. This was not an isolated situation. This is believed to be the very first letter. If there's anyone before this, it's Galatians. But most believe that this is the first one. He has just broken into Europe. An example is of the utmost importance. For people hear you a lot louder when they see you. He writes to the Corinthians, we labor with our own hands. And we find that in other epistles, Paul was not one who lived off others. He gave an example. But notice also, the measure of the work is identified as night and day. I mean, he's really, he, he, he's in a courtroom. The whole scene here is a courtroom. The evidence is being presented. Now, night and day doesn't mean that they work constantly night and day. It means that they work whenever they needed to and whenever the opportunity arose. And they were flexible so they could minister. So, if they could gather with the people during the day, they would work at night. If they could gather at night, they would work in the day. So, in other words, they were flexible. Such an important principle to be a servant of Jesus Christ. That as we serve God, we serve people, therefore we're flexible. When I come into work, I take Monday off. Tuesday morning I come in. I've got, I know my schedule. I know what I have to do. But I have to remain flexible all week long because there's needs of people. And I can't just say, well, I'm busy right now. Though I have to set some time out. But I try to remain as flexible as possible so that I am being used of God. And I'm not just doing what I want to do. I have to be open to God's interruptions. God's interruptions turn into blessings. Because it causes me to draw from Him. And when the week is done, I have to say, Lord, thank you. (laughs) I didn't have it all nifty packaged up. And every Sunday morning, no matter what has happened throughout the whole week, no matter how many times I had to speak to somebody, go to the hospital, whatever emergencies come up, at home or here or anything, the Lord and I are always ready Sunday morning. It always worked out. For 20 years it's been like that. Notice secondly here in verse 9. Paul calls their attention, remembering why they work. The motive for working was that they might not be a burden to any of them. And the word burden means to be heavy upon or a load. We use the expression sometimes when an adult is causing the children or his children to take the adult role. We say he's leaning on them too much. He's reversing the role. Paul the Apostle tells the Corinthians, for the children are not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. So I will spend and be spent. And the more I love you, the less I be loved, he tells them. I didn't ask you guys for money. I didn't lay the big guilt trip on you. I am here to provide for you, Paul told him. What an incredible example. Here again, he gives this reason. Paul refused to burden people by taking money from them in order to minister the gospel. He has just broken into Europe, as I said. He's among pagans. Paul was always very careful not to have the gospel discredited due to money. You can read Corinthians 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Corinthians 11, 12, uh, Philippians 4:16. Always very, very careful. Paul sets himself an example of those who would minister the gospel to others. Remember the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verse 35 to 35, Paul says, you know, you're witnesses. I haven't taken your silver, your gold, nothing from you. I've been with you ministering all these years, work with my own hands. To provide for the work of others who came along with me. He declares it to the Thessalonians later on in the second letter. Uh, again, he mentions in chapter 3, verse um, Uh, 6 on down, he says, but we command you, brethren, in in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but work with labor and toil, same phrase, night and day, that we might not be burdened to any of you. Not because we did not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you that if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. I I, I repeated that to my children often as they were growing up. (laughs) For we hear that there are some who walk among you. In a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Good advice. Good advice. The mission field was one where the gospel was to be preached to them. In other words, Paul is saying it was never abandoned because of difficulty, it was never abandoned because of finances. We were committed. What an incredible example. He already told them that in verse 2 of chapter 2, how they had suffered in Philippi, despitefully treated as Roman citizens, but they came in boldness and spoke. They didn't shirk back. They didn't say, well, you know, maybe we better lighten up. Maybe maybe this is because we're out of God's will. (laughs) They knew they were called. The word preached there is carousal, which means a herald to proclaim. You know, the herald is one that was hired by the state or the king to make all public proclamations. The message was given to him. It wasn't his. The authority was vested to him. It wasn't his. He was only responsible to proclaim and then to look for a response. And he knew there would be a response, but he wasn't responsible for the response. So I preach to you in all boldness and all love. And I expect a response and there will be responses, but I'm not responsible for your response. Though I hope your response Is in the affirmative Yes Lord They were God's ambassadors Sent out to proclaim salvation To the lost God's good news The mission was never abandoned Because God had sent them Opened the doors And provided the means For everything They had worked with their own hands They had received A couple of gifts from the Philippians Philippians 4 um, 15-16 I believe God was making provisions. Maybe not exactly as they thought or knew. Remember, God told Paul, you're going to be in Rome. You're going to witness to me. But he didn't tell me he was going to go as a prisoner. So when God tells you to go, don't get this thing in your mind that you're going on a cruise liner or something. Be open. One day, about 10 years ago, I was standing. I came in. A young man came in. And he was about mid-20s. And he was out there, you know, a missionary for God out in Mexico. And and he had been there a while, and, and he was all upset because people were not providing the finances for him. And so he came in here asking for finances. And so I sat and talked to him. He wanted to talk to me. And um, I, I just let him talk for a long time. And uh, how he, all these people are so slothful, not taking care of him, and all this and that. And, and I finally asked him, I said, who called you to the mission field? He said, well, God did. Well, what are you asking people for then? Why are you mad at people? Why don't you get mad at God? Well, because God, oh, well, either God sent you or he didn't. Of course, the rationale comes out. Well, you're a pastor, you have a church, and you got vine. Well, wait a minute. I didn't call myself. God called me. I work with my own hands. I've been a janitor. I've been a Kung Fu instructor. I ran computers. I worked cement. You name it. I work in the grocery store. Whatever. And then God opened the doors, and God provided. So it's no different. The problem is too many times people think they're called of God and they want to go out in the mission field and then they tell me that boldly and I say, well, when are you leaving? They say, oh, as soon as I get all my support. Really? Well, who called you? God did. Did He tell you to go? Yeah. Why aren't you gone? (laughs) You see, the problem is you start depending on man when you get out in the mission field and you got your support. Now you're depending on man. And as soon as man says, well, you know what, we're going to have to cut you off after, you know, three months go by, so then you're home. Because after all, God called you, but man doesn't supply the money, so now, of course, you're coming back home, right? God called you, go there and go to work. You'll find out if God called you real fast. The sooner you find out, one way or the other, the better off you and the people will be. Real simple. You see, the believers to work... And provide for his own family. This is the proving ground. If you are not a good provider for your family, and I'm not talking about amount of money, I'm talking about being a faithful worker. If you're not that at home, don't think you're going to be that in the ministry. You're deceiving yourself. He who doesn't provide for his own house is worse than an unbeliever and you deny the faith, 1 Timothy 5 8 says. A lot of people are lazy bums and they want to say they're spiritual. The Bible hates lazy people. Read the Proverbs. You are to be the best worker in the world, Christian. The best. He who refuses to work should not eat. I already read you that, 2 Timothy 3.10. We get people in here all the time because we're in our city, people from the streets and everything else, and they come and, and some of them come in real bold and they want to demand from us, you're, you have to give me, you're a Christian. And they're usually, oh, you call yourself a Christian, you know, they say, whoever you give a cup of cold water. I say, yeah, but do you know the scripture says you don't work, you don't eat? Oh, little different, huh? Lopsided gospel. We've got a weird concept of the gospel in the United States. The believers to work to help others and to be an example of godly generosity Uh, he says that later on in chapter 4 verse 11 through 12 he says that you may also aspire to lead quiet lives to mind your own business and to do work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may work properly towards those who are outside the non-believer and that you may lack nothing the greatest example you can give as a Christian is that you take care of your house you provide for your family it's the greatest example you can give to the non-believer The believer who is called by God has a right to live with the gospel if God supplies it. Jesus said that in Luke 10, 7, and then Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians 9, 14, and later Paul in 1 Timothy 5, 8 joins the Old Testament concept of the ox not being muzzled and quoting the words of Jesus. But God is the one who calls, opens the door. There's no pressure. There's no compulsion. There's no manipulation. It's God who does it. That's important. God many times works through the person, through his work at first. Right where he's at. At other times, God provides a tent ministry for that person. And that's the way their ministry is going to be. All their life. And then at other times, God sovereignly calls a man to leave his regular work and to live of the gospel. But that's God's sovereign choosing. If anybody seeks to make that their goal, I feel sorry for them not the way it's to be. You see, they were willing to work as they preach the gospel. First facts he gives to them. Notice secondly, verse 10. Their willingness to live out the gospel. Notice first, Paul declared that they had, they and God were witness of how they had behaved among those who believed. The word devoutly Describes the conduct towards God Pure from evil Literally Holy (laughs) Lee In other words In obedience to be Christ like In as much as they could This is the only place this word is found You see man can appear to be devout Towards God Before the eyes of man But only God knows If it's true from the heart People can look at a man and say, Look how he turns the pages on his Bible. Godly. Look how he says, God. And the angels in heaven are throwing up. (laughs) Jeremiah says that man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things and only God knows it in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. And he searches the heart. I don't know your heart. You don't know my heart. I try to believe that what I see on the outside is lined up with what is going on in the heart. But I don't know that for sure unless time runs. And sometimes that isn't even enough. God is the only one. God alone can see and detect the intent and the motive of the heart. And for that He will reward us. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says. God is not going to reward me for how much I've done or what I've done. He's going to reward me on how and why I did it. The motive You see He has already said In verse 4 of chapter 2 That God is the one Who has tested And approved their hearts And continued to do so He says But as we have been Approved by God To be entrusted With the gospel Even so we speak Not as pleasing men But God Who tests our hearts He approved it In the past And he's continuing To search it out That it remains Pure in the present That's good
0: Mr. Xavier Reese, And the importance of keeping your focus on the Lord. And you can find this program online to hear any portion you may have missed. Just browse for today's date in the radio listings link at CalvaryChapelPasadena.com. And there's much more to come next time as well. But if your schedule will permit you to tune in, you can pick up your own personal copy of this message. We have them available, as always, on CD for only $4. The title to ask for is, Only the Facts. pasadena california 91107 and it's helpful when you mention the call letters of this station when you get in touch this is one way we can gauge the impact of this outreach in your area how do you maintain right relationships that's coming up on the next edition of simple truths with pastor xavier reese invite a friend and come back then